This passage has been a lot of fun this week to get into. Um, it's a great passage that illustrates, you know, the second definition or the second title of this book, the works of Jesus from heaven through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I want to tell you that in that section of notes that's there with the children's pages is an outline, and I'm going to start trying to do this and hopefully to bring clarity and to make it easier for you to follow along, but the one thing that I didn't write down there that I want you to go ahead and write when you have a minute is that I want to tell you that I think this passage is for us that we would encourage each other because the hand of the Lord is at work and he will provide. That that would be a great encouragement to us that we ought to encourage one another because the hand of the Lord is at work and he will provide. I was talking with some of our teenagers a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the position of life coach. And I don't know what you think about encouraging and I don't know what you think about the idea of a life coach uh, but I've often wondered if I don't need a life coach. Uh, I used to think that I, I could be a life coach, but let's be honest, the organization would absolutely crush me. Um, but I do have a loud voice, and I tend to be an encourager. And you might go, I'm not really sure those two things go hand in hand. If, if I were completely honest with you, I'll tell you something that I haven't told many people. There was one year in high school that I was a high school cheerleader, I don't bring that up very much. I even bought the white Reeboks, if you remember those white Reeboks. I used to polish them to try to keep them white. And I think the only reason I was asked to do that is because I have a loud voice. Um, and, and I'm a little bit shy to tell you that, but I don't want you to think that, that life coach and, and cheerleader is exactly what it means to be an encourager. But what I want you to see in this passage today is that we ought to encourage each other because the hand of the Lord is at work in us here and he will provide. And I really believe that that's what this passage is about. If you look on, those, on, on that outline that I gave you, you'll see that the first little section of this is how the Lord is at work in Antioch, bringing those there from idolatry to maturity. And I'm going to show you what that looks like really quick. The second thing is I want you to see that it is a call for us to encourage one another. And then finally, I want us to look for just a minute at this idea of the hand of the Lord being at work. Because I think if we will grasp it, it will change us. Remember, Luke is writing to Theophilus. Um, he writes this section, and this is the last time that Barnabas is in the lead role. From here on out... It never says Barnabas and Saul or Barnabas and Paul. It always says Paul and Barnabas from here on out. The interesting thing is that Barnabas is in the limelight in this section. And I really believe that he is there so that we might understand the power of encouragement and that we might be challenged to encourage. I think that in this section, Luke is encouraging Theophilus that the Lord is at work in Antioch. Now remember, Cornelius and his family and friends who were gathered that we just covered were the first non-Jews, the Hellenists, those who were not part of God's chosen people to come to faith. And when we saw that happen last week, we saw the Spirit fall on them just like it fell on the Jews, right? Just like it did at Pentecost. And we saw how, like with the Jews at Pentecost and the Samaritans and, and the Hellenists, how the circle of God's salvation history expands. 
And here, Luke encourages Theophilus. He says, look, God is at work and it's his hand that's at work. He does it. And you've got to wonder, what, what did Theophilus need to hear? Well, I want to show you how Luke organizes this quickly. Under this title, that the Lord works in Antioch, bringing the people from idolatry to maturity. And I want you to see how it happens. I think it breaks up in these four sections, verses 19 through 21. And you look at it, and as we read through that, you read in verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. What's interesting is that these folks who came from Cyprus and, and Cyrene, and isn't it great that we have Cyprians with us today? You guys could tell us more and more about what that place is like. But you know that Cyprus was just off the coast of, uh, of, of Israel, and, and it was just a little bit to the uh, west and to the north of Israel. And then this area of Phoenicia, this area, oh, have mercy. We'll worry about that in a little bit. I remember one time a light fell like that. Do you remember? And, and smoke started rising. And, and thank the Lord, Julian Shung was still here because he took care of us. It was awesome. Just a plant. Don't worry about it, Ian. Leave it there. Uh, as these folks were scattered through the persecution of Stephen, uh, the, they went kind of toward the coast and north. And so you see them in Phoenicia. You see them in Cyprus, just off the coast. And you see them in Antioch, which is just around the corner. And you see these folks who have gone out and they have spoken only to Jews about what had happened in Jerusalem. But there are two or three, there are some, we don't know how many, from Cyprus and Cyrene who actually spoke to the Hellenists, who spoke to the non-Jews and shared the gospel with them. And it says that the hand of the Lord was with them and there were many who turned to the Lord, it said. It, in fact, it says a great number turned to the Lord. Now, those of you who have grown up in church know that when you hear something and someone say they turned to the Lord, it is the, the beginning of repentance, right? That idea of turning away from idols and beginning to focus on who is this God that you are telling me about. It says that the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of people turned to the Lord there in verses 19 through 21. The second section is verses 22 through 24. It says that when word of this came to Jerusalem, that those elders in Jerusalem, the apostles, sent Barnabas up to Antioch to figure out what was going on. Antioch is somewhere between three and 400 miles away from Jerusalem. It would take a long time to get there. Some estimate as many as, as uh, I was going to say a fortnight, but I can't fool any of you guys, as many as two weeks or maybe, you know, 18 days. And that's how long it would take to get there. And so they send Barnabas and they say, go, go check it out. See what it's like. And Barnabas gets up there and it says that he came and he saw the grace of God. Barnabas recognized the grace of God. The key to our passage of understanding what encouragement is is in verse 23. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But it says that Barnabas saw the grace of God. He rejoiced, is what it says when he was glad. It is that he rejoiced. He was filled with joy for what he saw among the people. And then it says that he exhorted them. And we could get lost if we didn't, it, it, because we don't know the language. But, but that exhorted them is that he encouraged them. And remember Barnabas, his name was Joseph, but his nickname was Son of Encouragement, right? And so you get this idea that central to this in verse 23 is Barnabas and his encouragement. And it says that after he exhorted them to remain faithful in the Lord, is what it says, and that it also says, and to maintain steadfastness of purpose, 
And again, we're going to get back to that in just a minute. It says again that phrase, and a great many people were added to the Lord. They didn't turn to the Lord. They were added to the Lord. More likely than not, Barnabas probably baptized them there. Probably a church began to form. Probably people started to come together. And then we see the third of four divisions, verses 25 through 26. Barnabas, who in verse 24 we're told was filled with the Holy Spirit, in verse 25 he actually leaves Antioch. He goes just a little bit to the north and to the west, which is where he knew that they had sent Saul some years ago. Some commentators believe that Saul had probably been in Tarsus as many as 10 years at this point. Where do they get that? They get that from the idea of the famine that is to follow. You, you see that there's a famine that's mentioned in these last three verses. And they say that the famine was during the time of the Emperor Claudius, which we know to be the beginning of the 40s into the 50s. And so the idea is, even if it were like 43, 44, that, that Paul, or excuse me, that Saul had been in Tarsus that whole time. But here we see Barnabas filled with the Holy Spirit is what we're told. And he goes immediately to look for Saul. Now, the interesting thing is, is that when he goes to find him, he actually has to hunt him down. The only other place where that word is used is of Mary and Joseph when they go and look for Jesus in Luke, when Jesus stays in the temple. Do you remember that story when they went to Jerusalem and Jesus stayed on and his family went back and they traveled for two days and then they realized, wait, Jesus is not with us. And there was no such thing as DSS, and there didn't need to be because you traveled with an entire family, and it wouldn't have been unusual for you to be way back in the back, but they didn't know. And so with the anxiety of a parent who had lost a child, they raced back to this great city of Jerusalem looking for Jesus. Well, Barnabas leaves this great city of Antioch. Antioch, probably the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. As many as 500,000 people lived there. He leaves and he goes searching because he knows who needs to come and help him. Saul. Now you wonder, how did he know that? Well, you can read in Acts 22 that Paul tells his story of his conversion that when he was in Jerusalem before the apostles sent him away, that he actually heard God speak to him in the temple saying, you need to leave because I am going to send you to the Gentiles. Remember, Barnabas is the one who encouraged the disciples to accept Saul in the first place because Saul had murdered their friends. He had been a part of murdering Stephen. He had been a part of others' murders. And yet Barnabas says, no, this guy's changed. He's different. And so Barnabas would naturally have heard from Saul, God has sent me to the Gentiles, and they send him to Tarsus. And as Barnabas begins to see the grace of God at work, as women and men from non-Jewish nations are gathered, he knows this is who I need to go find. And he seeks out Saul, finds him in Tarshish, brings him down, and they spend a year teaching. And what does it say? Again, are you recognizing the greats yet? It says here in verse 27, that, or 26, they taught a great many people. This third definition of what happened when God was at work. What happened as he worked through his people. And then finally, the last one is this, verses, 37 through, verses 27 through 30, rather. It says there that the prophets, there were prophets who had come down from Jerusalem, 
And one of them was this guy named Abagus. And we're going to meet Abagus again later. But what it says is that Abagus stood up and he foretold again by the Spirit, God is at work, Jesus, the one who is at work in the book of Acts from heaven through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit, he foretells that there's going to be a famine. And this church that started with people who were worshiping other gods. In fact, Antioch was known, it was known for worshiping Daphne, the nymph god, who fled from Apollo and ultimately ended up as a tree, that Antioch was known for its moral laxity. It was known for, um, for its hedonism. And these folks who heard about the word of Christ preached turned to him, were added to their numbers, were taught by Barnabas and Saul. And then here in verses 27 through 30, we see their maturity as the Lord brings again something great. But here we read in verse 28, a great famine. That this new church, this church where the non-Jews were brought together and it was obvious that Christianity wasn't just a sect of Judaism, but was something that stood distinct and unique. That they called them Christians, those who would follow Christ. They turn in their knowledge and understanding of the suffering of their brothers and sisters in Judea. And they give sacrificially each according to their own ability, each according to their own prosperity, it says, that they give sacrificially, that they might be a great encouragement to the believers, the brothers and sisters in Judea. You see, this church goes from idol worshipers to maturity as they begin to be a great encouragement as these Gentiles sacrifice to meet their Jewish brothers and sisters' needs, this idea of encouragement. And throughout all of this, each section, Luke encourages Theophilus and says, look, I want you to see how the Lord is at work. But central to this, as I said, is I believe the second point, which is this call to encouragement. This call to us that we would be women and men who encourage one another. Not as a life coach, not that we would look at each other and say, what are your goals and what are your purposes? Let me help you get there. And not just with a loud voice like Bradley who can stand on the sidelines and, and scream at a lacrosse game or at a soccer game, so much so that when they go to away games, the girls ask Louisa, where's your dad? And, and it doesn't ever affect the game, right? If anything, it's a distraction to the game. But encouragement, real encouragement, because the Lord is at work, and he will provide everything that we need. Go back to verse 23. Let's camp out there for just a minute. Read verse 23 with me again. It says here, When he, Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Here we see the definition of encouragement. I think that Luke is encouraging Theophilus and saying, look 
at the Lord's hand at work. And look at this role that encouragement plays in the church. Barnabas' name, as we've already said, means the son of encouragement. I want you to see three things about his encouragement that we ought to follow. The first thing that he does is he recognizes the grace of God at work. There in verse 23, he sees what happened. He sees that these folks from Cyprus and Cyrene, Cyrene is like the tip of, of Libya, so the very top of North Africa, right? Hundreds of miles away. They've traveled to Antioch because it's a, it's a city on the Silk Road. It would have had tons of commerce, tons of intellect, tons of education, tons of wealth. And as they came there, they preached Jesus Christ. They preached Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And non-Jews began to believe it. And they began to turn from their gods and turn toward God. And Barnabas recognized it for what it was, the grace of God at work. He saw it. Luke tells us just before that Barnabas was a good man. The only other person that Luke calls a good man in all of Luke and Acts is Joseph of Arimathea. No, Simon of Cyrene, can't remember. One or the other guys, go look it up. Sorry, we'll get back with you on that next week because I just had uh, two thoughts cross. And then the other thing that he talks about being, you know, good as far as a human being goes is that when, when someone comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, Jesus stops him and he says, wait a minute, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. No one is good except God. So this idea of Luke calling Barnabas a good man doesn't mean that he is, you know, righteous without sin, but that he is righteous before God. And what we see is that he is looking for the grace of God around him. He's looking for it. And when he sees it, he recognizes it. And part of our call to be encouragers of each other is to look around and identify the grace of God. The second thing that he does is to rejoice. This is where it says, and he was glad. And it actually says, and he rejoiced. It doesn't say that he had any hesitancy. It doesn't talk about any measure of his joy. But it meant that as he looked in other people's lives and saw the grace of God operative in their lives, he was quick to rejoice. And rejoice, obviously, with them in their presence. To go, do you see that God's at work in you? This is very exciting. You wouldn't have done this on your own. Faith is a gift. It's not something that you muster. And that you turn away from your idols and toward God is a sign that God is at work in you. And so he rejoices with them. <clears throat> and then it says that he encouraged them. That he here in our translation exhorted them. It's the same word from which we get the name of the Holy Spirit to be the paraclete or the encourager, the exhorter. It's the same word from which Barnabas gets his nickname or Joseph, his nickname, Barnabas, right? And he exhorts them in two things. He doesn't say to them, you know, that you have a lot of talent and you're going to go far. And if you work really hard, you're going to do great things. You keep going. You be you. Great job. That's not what he does. When he encourages them, he calls them to remain faithful to the Lord. He says, remain faithful to the Lord. This idea of remaining faithful to the Lord is this Old Testament idea of, of waiting on him. Wait on the Lord. 
And then he says, wait on the Lord with steadfast purpose. This idea is with the purpose of your heart being set. In devotion to God. Remembering the plans that you made in advance. And the idea of this encouragement both assumes that there's struggle. It assumes pressure. It assumes suffering. Because again, these non-Jews were coming to faith in Jesus in the midst of a city that would have impressed upon them great pressures. Ah, that, that's not true. That's not who God is. Turn from him. Your hope is not found there. But here we see this call to encouragement, deep encouragement, recognizing the grace of God at work, rejoicing together, and ultimately here encouraging one another to remain faithful to the Lord and with the steadfast purpose or the purpose of your heart. Encouragement's hard, isn't it? Encouragement is hard. In fact, if you heard this and you heard be encouraging or encourage each other, you might have heard like I did this week, man, I could use some more encouragement. <laughs> I could use that. I could use some encouragement, right? What is it about lack of encouragement in our lives? Well, if you walk back through those things, I think it would be interesting recognizing the grace of God. So often we're so focused on our own lives that we don't even look at each other and notice the grace of God operative in one another's life. But let me ask you, has anyone ever come to you and said, I see God at work in your life? I want you to know you're not the same woman you were before. You're different. What a deep and abiding encouragement that would be. And to rejoice in you and to rejoice rather with you about what God is doing in your life. I think that our lack of encouragement when we struggle with this is this individualistic, self-centered life that we're so tempted to live, especially in a city that is bustling and is busy and is buzzing. And this fear of suffering, this fear of pressure, this fear of persecution... But Luke is writing to Theophilus and we ought to hear that we ought to encourage one another because the Lord is at work and he will provide even down to the very need of a teacher in Saul. You see, in, 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 in Barnabas' humility, as a great encourager, seeing these people wasn't about him providing their need. He wanted who the Lord had provided for them. And he sought out Saul and brought him down. I'm convinced that encouragement is the fertilizer of the church that we have to give one another. And you go, how do you know I'm supposed to be like Barnabas? Because, Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are united with Christ and the Holy Spirit is in you. The spirit of encouragement, the spirit of exhortation that you and I might remain faithful to the Lord, that we might wait on him and that our purpose of our heart would be steadfast, that we wouldn't sway. The last thing I want to show you in closing 
is this idea of the hand of the Lord. The very first tip that Luke gives to Theophilus is he says that the hand of the Lord was at work and many turned to the Lord in the very first section of 19 through 21. This idea of the hand of the Lord is a deep-rooted, full-orbed phrase. Maybe no better explained in the entirety of the Old Testament than the book of Isaiah. If you go and you just look up hand of the Lord and you study the book of Isaiah, you see that it fits in these categories of judgment of his people, that the hand of the Lord was going to bring judgment on Israel, like he was going to judge the other nations. And then he also says that the hand of the Lord is going to bring ultimate judgment to the earth. But he also says there that the hand of the Lord is going to bring salvation. And in fact, there's one chapter that asks in Isaiah, is the arm of the Lord too short to save? And the answer is no. The hand of the Lord will bring salvation. If you were to look through Isaiah, these are the things that you would find out about the hand of the Lord. Just a few, just to name a few. In chapter 10, verse 4, it says, The hand of the Lord finds abandoned people as if they were eggs abandoned in nests, and he picks them out for himself, the wealth of the nations. In chapter 11, 11, it says that the remnant of his people from other nations, his hand will gain and will redeem for himself. He says that he takes by his hand his people who will be a light to the nations. He says in verse 43, in chapter 43 that no one can be snatched or delivered from his hands. And in verse 49, in chapter 49, he actually says that he lifts his hands and he brings sons and daughters from afar and that those who wait on him will be sustained. What's fascinating is that Isaiah actually says that as the Lord's hand is at work, that the wealth of the nations will come to you, his people. This is what I think Luke is doing here when he demonstrates that as these folks mature, they actually take up financial gifts from the nations that they represent and they send them to the Jewish people. Luke is saying, Theophilus, what the hand of the Lord promised to do in the Old Testament, he is doing. Be encouraged. And that we ought to likewise be encouraged by the hand of the Lord. Isaiah 61 says this, you shall be called priests of God and ministers of God, and you will eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Because the hand of the Lord is operative. And what is the glory of the nations? But their profession of faith. We ought to encourage one another because the hand of the Lord is at work. Last story. Mita and I for our 25th birthday, you remember what we did? You guys remember? We were driving to the beach and we ended up deciding to go jump out of an airplane. Maybe, maybe not the smartest decision when you could do risk management, but we did it. 
And what I remember is tumbling through the sky. And when it was time to open the parachute, I remember getting yanked so hard that it felt to me, and I used this expression at the time, that the hand of the Lord had reached down and he grabbed me. It was an amazing sensation. I want you to hear from this passage that we ought to encourage each other. Because the hand of the Lord is at work among us. And he's going to provide everything that we need. Paul, Saul here, who would become Paul, known as Paul, would be able to write to the Philippians, I'm confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He was able to write to the Romans and he was saying, look, God's given you his son. He's going to give you everything that you need. Be encouraged that we recognize the grace of God, rejoice with one another in that, and that we encourage and exhort one another to remain faithful in him and to remain steadfast in our purpose. Let's pray.